seemed like there was something to talk about. <laughs> so uh, let's take a moment to sit in silence for a few minutes and just um, come back to um, the breath and the body to allow some private space just to let this conversation settle a little bit into the entireness of our being. You may wish to close your eyes or gaze at the floor. and scanning the body for places of tightness or sensation or heat. And making note of those. and scanning the emotional body, noting the presence of feeling and what may be so for you in this moment. And there may be more than one feeling and scanning the mental body, noting the thoughts that are present, perhaps memories or thoughts about the future or new ideas, noting those as well. Wiggling your toes, opening your eyes, wiggling your fingertips and coming back to the group. And then maybe allowing your arms to come up and wave towards the ceiling, maybe even look towards it. Letting an ear come towards the shoulder. And back up. And an ear towards the other shoulder. And back up. 
chin towards the chest. And back up. Eyes towards the ceiling. Back up. And take your hands and put them on your head. Give yourself a little shampoo. Yes, I have a body. Great. Maybe pull your hair a little bit and we'll wake up. Great. If you have hair. <laughs> Great. Thoughts, comments, questions that you might like to speak to the whole group about the uh, discussion that you had with a partner and or these contemplations. Uh, I think we would all benefit um, from hearing from some of us besides just me. (laughs) Please, Jeannie. Uh, Excuse me. Please uh, use. Would you like to use the microphone, Lynn? Yeah, please use the microphone and point the tip of the microphone to your mouth. Okay. We record um, these workshops and make them available to other members of this community for learning. Um, And listening to you read the nine um, contemplatives, the second one was the only one that really got me. And... um, I had an aversion to that. Um, Remind us what the second one is. uh, Yeah. Our lifespan is decreasing continuously. Every breath brings us closer to death. Holding this thought in mind, I delve deeply into its truth. That really got to me. Um, The rest of them seemed more intellectual and was like, oh, yeah, sure, mm mm-hmm. But that one was really something that I would plan to use as a meditation focus. What about it do you like? Well, it brings you here and now. I mean, uh-huh. it's like really right where it is, not in my head. It takes me out of my head into my body and my breath. But the breath is an anchor to think. Uh-huh. This breath brings me closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Jeannie. Uh, somebody over here? Oh, a second microphone. Excellent. So, you here? Um, number eight. Shall we read? Oh. Our loved ones cannot keep us from death. <clears throat> There's no delaying its advent. Holding this thought in mind, I exercise non-grasping and I think in that non-clinging. So. That would. Um, I have, we had some objection or difference with that, and that difference was that in today's period of time, as perhaps opposed to the time when it was written, we can delay the advent of death. 
we can prolong the time when uh, the life force leaves both mind and body. However, in today's time, we can actually separate that. That is, the mind may be perhaps considered dead, but the body may be alive, but that's not really life as we come to know it. Um, and if we have, or if someone has, for example, extremely important work to do, if that person perhaps is a genius, for example, the one person that um, my partner and I thought about was Stephen Hawking, who, is, who suffers a great deal but has an enormous mental capacity. And that person is continuing his work, which uh, he thinks is enormously uh, scientifically uh, valid, and he clings and fights to stay active. Uh-huh. So that person might be considered to be a very clinging and very grasping person to his life. On the other hand, his contribution may override that. Uh-huh. So in that case, that would, in my mind, be an exception yes. to, to what's written here. Thank you. The... Um the way I think about this contemplation is at the very end, no one, even that we love, can keep us. You know? But you're right, on the way, people can extend our life, or technology can extend our life. Yeah. Thank you. Please. I found uh, an aversion to number six it says the human body is fragile and vulnerable our life hangs by a breath and while I acknowledge intellectually that that's an absolute truism and that it is worth holding this thought in mind uh, and and attending to the inhalation and exhalation uh, yet I don't experience life anything like that thankfully because to me, to experience life like that, and I must say, too... Do you mean life is fragile and vulnerable? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that that's not my experience. That I experience life with, at times with dynamic awareness and, and vigor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I say also that I've, I've been fortunate to have had good health. And I've known people that probably have experienced it very much like this. And as I think back of the passing of both my parents and other, other uh, friends and relatives, I'm, I'm aware of their experiencing life like this. And I, I feel quite fortunate, at least until now. Uh, so, but I, as you read that, I just really felt that mm-hmm. aversion in my and my awareness. Thanks. Sure. Thank you. Right here? Oh, okay. Uh, the, uh, the fourth one, uh, human life expectancy is uncertain. Death can come at any time. I had a experience of that this morning on the way here. Uh, I was coming around a, a mountain curve, and there was a tractor trailer halfway over in my lane. And 
and uh, my lane was bordered by a, an embankment. There was no other lane to go into, and I was able to squeeze just enough space through between his truck and the, the embankment, and I, I carried on. And um, I had a couple of voices come up after that. One was uh, revenge, <laughs> cursing the driver and thinking about turning around and uh, driving back and tracking him down or something like that, you know, and making him feel bad for for uh, for what he did and but the other voice was like oh I'm I'm on my way to the death and dying seminar <laughs> and and so so here we are thank you i uh i did a year of training within hospice like 4 days a month for a year and i sat next to a woman every day um she was a nurse, hospice nurse, and uh, she died six months after our training. Um, so it's not always that far away, you know, like, I mean, she was there practicing about how to serve others and doing this practice, but um, she didn't tell any of us that she had cancer. And she died shortly after we disbanded, if you will, after we got very close. Yeah, so who knows? Thank you. That one's a kicker, though. Any time, any moment. Please. I'm very grateful for um, your handing out the copies. Um, I find the second line of each contemplation to be um, almost my first. The first lines, all of them. So, my mind knows this is true. But the second line gives it more, um, more richness, fullness, more, uh, more of a place in uh, my life and my heart than the first lines. Thank you. The second lines are how we can practice with this truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Please. Um, the seventh contemplation, I'm not sure I agree with it. It says, at the time of death, our material resources are of no use to us. Even at the exact moment, I'd rather expire between some clean sheets on the street. So I don't know how to... I understand, yes, I'm not taking anything with me, but... Yeah. um, When I hear that, when I think more like, well, the car in the garage, you know, the jewelry in the dresser, the... um, house in Hawaii, I don't have one, but, um, you know, that these things that we strive for are of no use to us. But actually, um, our, our mindfulness, our concentration, our um, ability to be with change and suffering are actually helpful, you know, like, so the two, and this is why the Buddha sent these monks into 
cemeteries to meditate and to gaze upon a dead body for a week. You know, um, is that we can develop our mental capacity and our heart strength. They can be resources for us actually more than anything else. And yes, it would be. I would like really nice sheets. You know. Uh, people who are sick and dying, their world becomes very small. And what I've learned is that a f- particular frame on a photo or uh, the texture of the sheets or the dishes um, become monumental artwork or resources for people. And so actually at Zen Hospice, we're very careful about the environment. Uh, for somebody that cannot leave a room, um, what's on a wall um, or how people come and go from a room become very, very large, very important. And I have made the mistake of moving a piece of furniture without asking, and it's like I took somebody's car away from them or uh, limb, if you will. Yeah, thank you. I have a question that goes back to your introduction. Uh, the Buddha said, do not grieve. Did he mean that? Where, where can I read something? Now, of course, we don't know about the translation. Nor do we know whether this was written down at the exact moment when he died or his successors thought we should write it down this way so that when it gets passed on, we get this point across. So we don't know that. Um, I have another one to read here. I think ultimately at an absolute level, you know, the teachings are all um, absolute philosophical stances. Um, And then there's the relative world, how we're living day to day. These are great ideas, but then again, we're human, you know. See. I'm old too, I can't remember everything, so I have to write it down. Particularly these quotes from the Dharma. That's right. And then I have to find it. All of this is very complicated for me. And of course, I'm not finding it. Maybe I'll read it to you after lunch. But the quote is something about um, if we practice, we will find an end to grief. So that grief is a natural reaction, but he encourages not to have it be an ever-present state because that is actually some form of clinging, which increases our suffering. Yeah. But to have a natural response of regret or loss or guilt is human. Um, it's the dwelling um, or static nature that can be a problem for us. Yeah. And it's the, it's the inacceptance. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that also he may have meant that big outpouring of grief. I mean, since he was such a well-loved 
being and was so popular that there could have been a huge um, deal about his death. And I think mm -hmm. he probably didn't want that. Well, and, and this is the Zen image of I am not the moon, I am the finger pointing at the moon. Have you heard this? That um, we're not to mistake the teacher for the teachings, you know, that there's the truth of our Buddha nature and all these things and practices and ideas point us towards our own Buddha nature. And so I think he was also saying, and he said, be a lamp unto yourself. You know, these are teachings. I'm just pointing the way. And so I don't think he wanted to be mistaken for the way. Yeah. Other thoughts um, or questions from the cut? Well, maybe we can move some microphones to this side of the room. There you go. Um, the, uh, it didn't occur during our conversation, but um, the every breath brings us closer to death. Um, and then holding this thought in mind, I delve deeply into this truth. And uh, the breath has been a friend. It's like I can always, no matter what, you know, emotions or whatever, I can go back to this friend. It's, you know, and so then it was a little, it's, a, it's jarring to have that be a reminder of um, the friend won't always be there. Mm -hmm. um, So is my friend bringing me to my death? Right. Yeah. What kind of friend is that? Yeah. Because it has been this constant, you know, the breath. The breath is our refuge. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is our death our refuge? Mm -hmm. For people who are very sick, or as we saw here with the exercise, you know, at some point, people are looking to their death as a refuge as a friend but it's it is jarring yeah I hear what you're saying but you want me to be refuge now right you're just talking with my and, it, and, and when we're born it's the first thing that we do we take a breath you know and our mothers when they gave birth were very tuned into their breath you know giving birth is all about the breath you know and uh, when people are dying, it becomes very breath-oriented, you know. And we talk about the last breath, um, or the breathing changes when people are really near death. Have any of you been with somebody who's died? So you may have seen this, that the, the breath becomes very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Other thoughts, please? Um, I, I couldn't get beyond the first one. Um, death is inevitable. No one is exempt. I don't think your mic's on. Hello.
the first one you were saying. That death is inevitable. It feels as if that includes everything before and after and everything that you it just feels like such um sort of like a complete statement of how I resist the entire thing. It feels like every every cell in my body is totally resisting that one. Mm-hmm. So that um it it is that I've spent my whole life breathing in order to stay alive and trying with every every minute you know eating right or drinking right or feeling right or therapy right or <laughs> something right or get it going right mm-hmm. and it feels as if i am so angry at god for having it set up that way mm-hmm. that it is inevitable and I wasn't really sure that I, ha- I, I've, I recognized that from before, but when I started talking to my partner, I'm thinking, this is so paramount in my state in the moment that I'm, I'm just, it's like I am resisting the truth with every tooth and nail that I have. And it, and it just is there, you know, because, you know, it feels as if, I'm so hardwired to survive this body that I'm just, that is my job. That is my job. And if I'm, if I'm, if I let go of that, then I won't be doing my job. Right. Right. Thank you. This is our instinct, you know. And at the same time, we can still prepare or remember that it's not forever. To contemplate death was not to hasten death you know that's not what this is okay good totally totally yeah <laughs> well you should see people fight it when they're really sick I mean I've seen people you know just um, yeah just Rage and do crazy things like try to get out of bed and then fall and break something. You know, or, um, yeah. Fortunately, that is very tiring. So it's it's impossible to stay really mad for a really long time. (laughs) Have you noticed that? You have to work hard to stay really mad. Yeah. It takes a lot of energy, yeah. And then you rest and then you get mad again. (laughs) Or work it through. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Uh, well, my partner and I had the same um, hit on four, the fourth one. Um, human life expectancy is uncertain. Death can come at any time. My initial reaction is, oh, shit, I've got all those journals. I've got all that stuff. I need to clean up so that someone doesn't have to walk in and clean up after me. Mm-hmm. And that was my immediate reaction was, mm-hmm. oh, goodness, that's, um, I don't need to leave that for other people. Mm-hmm. And um, then we, we shared that, and then we were talking about it would be nice to have notice. And she said, you know, like a year. 
And I said, well, I'd need a week because I procrastinate. <laughs> and I'd have to know I, this week I really got to do it. Right. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like leaving, when you're leaving the house, make sure you have all the underwear. Right. <laughs> right. Well, this actually is, um, uh, is a next step around contemplating death, is that we can start to think, oh, well, if that's true, then maybe... I really should get around to get rid of those boxes in the garage. And you're right, it is a gift to our loved ones to prepare because it's really hard to lose somebody. We're emotionally overwrought, which is really natural and appropriate because we love people. And to have to make decisions on top of that is very difficult. So if we do write down or make some plans or do a preparation with a funeral home or give some things away or clearly have a will or an advanced directive for health care. All of these things are steps that we can take to, one, to bring our death closer to us as a reality and pierce through some of this denial that comes so naturally, and two, to care for the people that we love. Yeah. I'm a... And, and to do this is not so difficult. Like... I used to kind of imagine that we need to have a long conversation at Thanksgiving about (laughs) dad and, and, you know, and I I remember sending some forms out to my family and, you know, kind of, and then it it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. And then I did this visit with him where I was like, I got the form and we were from between his house and the mall. I asked him questions and I wrote the answers at the stoplights, you know. Okay, so which... Because sometimes he'll say things like, I love this song, I want you to play it at my funeral. You know? So I'm like, okay, Dad, which four songs? Okay, now, what's the lawyer's name? You know, like, it was not like even this momentous family thing that you might see in a Hollywood movie. I was just in the car taking notes. It was just, a, you know, and I, at least I've got that much tucked away, you know, that I can pull out, which hopefully will be a long time from now. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, to add to that, um, my initial reaction was, too, that Wait a minute, you know, I, I don't, I don't want this thought that at any moment I can go. I, mm-hmm. I want to know to be prepared mm-hmm. myself emotionally, I think, right. and, right. and the family or friends yes. or whoever. The thought of at any time, and yet it happens all yeah. the time when people are in accidents. Right. And they will probably never know, but somehow that was jarring. I know. To think uh, that's too quick. Yeah, too quick. So you're going to be really mad if it happens quickly. Probably, <laughs> except that maybe I won't be here. Right. And even you won't have long to be mad. But I would like. But, to, yeah. yeah, I will yeah. exactly. But I would like to think that I will have a little time right. to you go know, through um, that dying process. Yeah, most people. Um, do not die suddenly. Most people do die in hospitals, still, in this country. You know. um, if you have a heart attack in the hospital, in the grocery store, you will be resuscitated. And they're, obliged. they're obliged to do that. If you're somebody that does not want to be resuscitated, um, you will be, and then they will take you off life support. You know, um, if you're in your home, you can have a document on your refrigerator because emergency 
technicians, when they come, they know to look on refrigerators. This is particularly to people who are elderly and frail. You know, they'll look on the refrigerator for what's called a, a do not resuscitate order. You know, these are things you can arrange with your doctor. Um, you can have a, but you can have a bracelet. But I've heard that sometimes they they don't look they don't all look there. Somehow the refrigerators become a little more universal. Yeah. <laughs> do not resuscitate. Right. Um, and then, um, and what happens for a lot of people is with medical technology, um, a death is slowed down to some resuscitation and going to a hospital and then involving family. Um, and a lot of times people are brought to a state of consciousness to then learn what their condition is and make some decisions. And sometimes people cannot be brought back and family members need to make a decision for that person. You know. So there are um, documents you can put in place to get really clear who that person is for you. If you ever go into a hospital for a procedure, they'll ask whether you have this document in place just in case you need it. Uh, and in the media, Terry Schiavo, the case that was in the media three years ago, there was a great debate between the family because a document was not in place or, you know, they debated the... Um, who had the right, the husband or the parents, you know. So this is also something you can do to spare suffering for your loved ones. Please. Because we just don't know. I read an excellent book called Talking About Death Won't Kill You. Yes. <laughs> and one of her main points was a lot of advanced directives get ignored or even even by doctors or by confused family members, and that the best solution to those unexpected, uncertain situations is a lot of talk ahead of time. Yes. You to really right. communicate about things yes. for yourself and for your for your loved ones, right. because also when the when the moment comes, you you may have the tattoo and you may say no 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 I I think I want to stay you know when. When push comes to show, yes. Um, yes. it can be very different. Or even medically, you know, people come out of comas, and yes. you know, so it's it's a very good book. It leads you through a, a lot of good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Talking, Talking about, about death, death won't kill you. Won't kill you. And you know, this is a very um, culturally bound to this idea of talking about death. So um, for some people um, in their ethnic culture, it, this is not done. So for some kind of traditional Chinese families, you know, you don't speak of death, for example. You know, it's, it's bad luck. It hastens death, you know. So there's a lot of challenge in the healthcare community about how to bridge some of these gaps and respect the values at the same time. Yeah. And I think as Buddhist practitioners in this community, um, it's, it's a long-standing tradition to contemplate death as a means for our awakening and actually for greater joy in our life. You know, maybe to remember there isn't so much time or I can care for my loved ones by preparing and thinking about this, you know. 
um, and maybe I won't postpone that vacation or um, maybe I will get more massages, you know, to take care of my fragile and vulnerable body. Another comment or two before I read a poem and we take a break for lunch, please. I actually liked uh, the fifth contemplation. There are many causes of death habits. Desires, accidents can be precipitants. Holding these thoughts in mind, I consider the myriad of possibilities and just sort of points to how we contribute to our happiness or unhappiness and how um, the aspect of being present is sort of the whole point and it sort of weaves into aspects of karma. Uh huh, yes. And sort of, in a way, negates all the other stuff. Death is inevitable, but if you're not dead, then you're alive. That's sort right. Of the, um, they cancel each other out. If you're alive, you're not dead. If you're dead, <laughs> the paradox, um, yeah. And, you know, our lifespan is decreasing continuously. Every breath brings us closer. I have a solution for that. You don't have to breathe. Don't breathe. <laughs> Thank you. And many of us do participate in hastening our death. You know? Some of us um, um, have or will contemplate suicide as an end to our suffering. Uh, some of us um, have addictive conditioning patterns and are slowly killing ourselves with alcohol or drugs or nicotine. Mm-hmm. Some of us drive dangerously you know, or participate in high-risk adventures like bungee jumping and scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a... Um, I love scuba diving so much I actually wouldn't mind if my death came then. Unless I was gasping for air, then that would be painful. But if I had an aneurysm while diving, (laughs) that would be good. That would be perfect. Surrounded by the wonder of creation. Yeah, that would be good. So consciously or unconsciously, some of us also long for death, you know, or people in our lives do, you know. Physician-assisted suicide is legal in Oregon. And what they found statistically is there are not more suicide or uh, euthanasia deaths. And there's less spiritual and psychological suffering when people know they have the option. That if it gets really bad, they can end it. So it has actually alleviated people's psychological suffering when they're in the dying process. And then if they are serious about it, it's not just an overnight decision, but there's several conversations and legal procedures that people go through to finally get to that point. So it's not done quickly or without a great deal of thought and relating to others around the decision and then the action. But I think that's very interesting to know that actually it alleviates psychological suffering to know that we have that out. Please. Yes, but I I think suicide basically is a way to alleviate pain. Um, 
I believe that suicide is basically pain-aside. It's just a way to alleviate pain. And if we can uh, provide other forms of pain relief, yes. then um, then we're doing our job. And people usually only, it's suicide is a cry for help mm-hmm. and a, a cry to remove the suffering. And I believe if we would provide those things, then people wouldn't commit suicide. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's real, real important to value life and to give people goals and hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm here for life. Yeah. So let's yeah. vote for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's natural when people are very sick and dying for them to contemplate suicide. Just that they, it's just a consideration. Like we contemplate pain management or. Um, where I want to be or who I want to be with. It's, it's part of the dying process, which is very different than somebody who is physically healthy and, and mentally struggling and contemplating suicide. Yes. Yeah. So um, we need to stop for lunch. And I don't know how long we should stop for lunch, so I thought we could make it a group decision. I know we need at least a half an hour but if you haven't brought lunch, then you need to go somewhere. Um, I don't know what the tradition is here for lunch, so I'm open. Thoughts? Opinions? Is it, it's usually more than an hour? Okay. What do you think, of, what do you think about an hour? Okay, and let's do this. Um, so I'm going to say a few more things and read you a poem so that will take us to 12.30. And we'll start again at 1.30. But let's have this room be a quiet room so that maybe if you eat your lunch in 20 minutes and walk around the block or do what you need to do, you can come back in this room and sit if you'd like to or lie down and rest or read and be quiet. So we'll have this room for the introverts. And then if you want to do some speaking or socializing or pull a table out, you can also pull chairs out into the parking lot to eat your lunch, that that's more the speaking area. Okay? Yeah, pull it. Great. Okay. So this will be the quiet room. And no, and no food in here. Thank you. No food in here. Yeah, just water. Okay. Great. Please. Okay. Okay, great. Good. Super. We'll take care of each other. This is a very important need, food and rest. So um, when we come back, we're going to shift to um, caring for others. And you might be saturated now. You might be done. You might be like, okay, I've had enough, and it's okay not to come back after lunch, too. I won't take it personally. Um, And there might be people that join us after lunch that didn't come this morning. Um, So I want to leave you with a poem about um, how the contemplation of death can actually enliven us so that we go forth with some feeling of aliveness, as you said, go live. Um, And this is a poem, and then I'll I'll give it to you too when we're done. And it has um, some of what I read earlier in the day, so you have that as well. You could hang this on your refrigerator next to your do not resuscitate order. (laughs) When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, 
when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut. When death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like that cottage of darkness. And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence. And as each body a lion of courage, something precious to the earth. And when it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up having simply visited this world. When Death Comes, a poem by Mary Oliver. She rocks. So we'll come back this afternoon to talk about caring for other people. And um, I'll pass these out right now so you can have them. Thank you for this morning.